When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Truth and Movies. Today, Emma Stone's Steve Carell in Battle of the Sexes, the tale of when Billie Jean took Bobby Riggs to court to see who really has the fairer sets. Then, Suburbicon. Matt Damon, Julianne Moore and bizarre tonal shifts in George Clooney's clumsy clunky Cohen clone about a perfect community's dark secret. Plus, here's one he did earlier, Film Club revisits Clooney's 2005 tribute to the heroes of the McCarthy era, Good Night and Good Luck. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. It certainly is. This week featuring Adam Woodward. Hello. One of our regulars. And also Hannah Woodhead. Hi. Hi, Hannah. You just joined the Little White Lies team. I did. It's my fourth week. Really? Yeah. All right. In very much the deep end. And uh, you've been with us to see Battle of the Sexes and Suburbicon, and we'll be hearing your thoughts on those later. If you'd like to send us your thoughts, listeners, email address is truthandmovies.tcolondon.com or there's at LWLies on Twitter, the Little White Lies Facebook page, or... The Little White Lies website has its own comment section as well, which uh, Steve Berkeley has been all over this week. First of all, he's saying, you're doing Suburbicon, how come you're not doing a Coen Brothers film for your film club? And he suggested for that Miller's Crossing. I don't think they've ever surpassed that. Possibly controversial, though I do love Miller's Crossing. Gabriel Byrne. I think my favourite Coen Brothers movie changes like every week. Really? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Hannah, what's your Coen Brothers favourite? Uh, mine's Fargo. Always. Is it? Yeah. Always right. and forever Fargo. That's interesting in light of this week's Suburbicon, I, I would venture. <laughs> but is. anyway, uh, Steve Berkeley continues to say, listening to the pod discuss Dog Day Afternoon prompted me to rewatch. I Knew It Was You, colon, rediscovering John Cazale, one of my favourite documentaries about cinema. He only appeared in five movies, says Steve but all were nominated for Best Picture. There are great interviews with Meryl Streep, Pacino, uh, Coppola and other luminaries. And there's an extended Pacino interview on YouTube. This is, I knew it was you rediscovering John Cazale. That sounds fabulous. Uh, Have you ever come across that documentary? No, I've not actually, but I will check that one out. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, I I had no idea. Five pictures and all were nominated for Oscars. Mm. And all in a, a, well, obviously a very short space of time as well, I think. Yeah. Five, five or six years. Can you name the others? So we've got Godfather the, 1 and 2. The Deer Hunter, I think. Ah, the Deer Hunter. Dog Day Afternoon, we're missing one. Um, you're putting me on the spot. Yeah, we'll come back to you. Excellent. All right. Well, so much has happened since we were last here talking to you. Hannah, you went to see The Florida Project and found it? 
sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was um, really excited to see it. Everyone said how brilliant it was. And I was kind of preparing myself for this really sort of joyous mm. experience. But without in any way spoiling uh, the storyline. No, I, I think it's, it's just prepare yourself. It's, yeah. it's not all sort of Walt Disney, which is great. It's a, it's a really beautiful film and um, brilliant performances from some really young kids. And, yeah. Uh, the always brilliant Willem Dafoe. Isn't he good? He's so good. Yeah. So good. What we can talk about, though, is the continued fallout from the absolutely terrific Justice League. See it now if you haven't. See it again just to reappreciate the magnificence of this brilliant DC superhero uh, yarn. It's done so badly at the box office, Adam, that they're now saying Ben Affleck must go. Well, I'm not sure how much that's kind of linked because I think Matt Reeves, who's directing The Batman, which is supposed to be shooting next year, oh yeah, uh, he reportedly doesn't want Ben Affleck for the film, mm. um, regardless of how this current one has performed at the box office I think they're now projecting it's going to lose between 50 and 100 million dollars which considering it had a budget of 300 million is, is quite a big hit for Warner Bros mm. um, I think that just about covers the cost of Henry Cavill's moustache though so that's good yeah <laughs> Um, lots of good tweets this week saying that, you know, the problem with this movie is that it didn't have a good villain and why did they uh, get rid of the moustache? They could have gone the whole hog with evil Superman. And evil Superman would have been good. Twirling a lot villain. of people, that was their favourite bit when he goes kind of dark Superman when he first resurrects. I'm spoiling elements of the film, but to be fair, the, it's a terrible film. Don't go and see it. But anyway. We put out a sort of cheeky tweet yesterday hmm. just uh, asking if Ben Affleck is to be replaced, who would be the worst choice for the role? I saw Michael Gove as one of the nominations. But yeah, Gove and Boris Johnson were quite popular. Right. And uh, someone actually suggested James Richardson. Yeah, I, I think I'd nail it. I think um, I thought that was doing a disservice. I've got the nipples for the part. You've got the chin for it, I think, as well. Yeah. Also, Sasha Baron Cohen I saw nominated, which I would love to see. Anyway, so that's Justice League. But you have got news of another film that we didn't particularly enjoy that is heading towards a sequel. Yeah, so Murder on the Orient Express... Is mm. getting a sequel, and it is, of course, Death on the Nile. Right. I mean, at the end of the film, they say there's been a death on the Nile. There's been a death on the Nile. So it does set it up for a sequel, and I, I suspect that this one was uh, greenlit before mm. the film came out, and it's actually performed quite well. People have gone to see it. So. We went to see the screening together, didn't yeah, we? Yeah. And there was a ripple of excitement when Poirot says, "Oh, a death on the Nile!" Yeah. At the end, like, oh. but then they're also saying they're not sure who's going to play. Poirot, whether what? it's going to be him. I don't know, it's, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I think Surely. they should recast it. I think every role should be recast. Like Controversial. I'm going to suggest get a Belgian. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? All right. Ha! Movies, huh? They don't stop making them. Let's look at then the first of this week's releases Battle of the Sexes. Battle of the Sexes is a true story of the 1973 tennis match between world number one Billie Jean King and the former tennis champ Bobby Riggs. Uh, here's the moment when Miss King and professional misogynist Bobby Riggs announce their contest to the world. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, I love women in the bedroom and in the kitchen, but these days they want to be everywhere, they want to be doing everything. Where is it going to end? Pretty soon us fellas aren't going to be able to go to a ball game, we're not going to be able to go fishing, we're not going to be able to stop and have a drink after work, and that's what this whole women's lip thing is about, and it's got to stop, and Bobby Riggs is the man to stop it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Custer's last stand. This is the lobber versus the liver. <laughs> Keep talking, Bobby. 
The more nonsense you spell, the worse it's gonna be when you lose. <laughs> well, I'm the ladies number one. I'm the champ. Why would I lose? Because well, dinosaurs can't play tennis. <laughs> I'm gonna put the show back in chauvinism. Hmm. Well, their eventual tennis match became, I believe, the most watched sporting contest in the world. Oh, is that right? Back in the oldy 70s. Adam. Yes. This is about so much more than just a tennis game, though. Well, yeah, ostensibly, that's the way the film sets itself up. And I have no doubt that this was a big deal at the time. Mm. For people who don't know, uh, and actually listening to that clip, you hear Bobby Riggs describe himself as the world uh, ladies number one. And the thing I didn't know about this story was that he actually had a match against Margaret Court um, before this and beat her. Um, She was the world's uh, women's number one at the time. So the film sets up nicely this, you know, ageing, sort of semi-retired guy who's a hustler, um, he, he, you know, is a serial gambler as well. And, yeah, it sets up nicely this idea of him basically not necessarily wanting to completely destroy the women's game or, or these players specifically, but just wanting to go in for, like, one last paycheck. Yeah, and he, he just loves stunts as well, whether it's playing in, 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 in flippers or playing while holding a couple of dogs on a leash, all that kind of thing. But the, I mean, the tennis match itself, I don't remember it. It doesn't mean that much to me. But what I really enjoyed about this film was the way that it also gives you a little kind of window on the dawn of uh, the WTA, Mm. how they set all that up, which I had no idea that Billie Jean King herself was behind the formation of that. And also that whole, I mean, the whole kind of fight for equality. Well, that's the most interesting thing about this film, I think. You have all this preamble almost to the match itself with Emma Stone's character and Sarah Silverman, who plays the sort of... Yeah, she she sort of rallies all, all the women. She's like their manager, I guess. And they do set up the WTA in opposition to Bill Pullman, who's the head of the um, American Lawn Tennis Association okay, yeah. at the time, um, who's very, you know, has a very hard line on equal pay and, you know, all the kind of top ranking tournaments that they control. They basically hold all the cards. So the women are like, well, you know, we bring in the crowds. Why don't we just set up our own tournament and our own tour, which is what they do. And I found that really interesting, actually, seeing how they kind of went about that. Mm. Um, it's all shot through as well with the kind of glorious 70s sunny optimism. Uh, even though there are, there's a lot of hard work, there are some knocks as well that they take, but there's a, just a great vibe to this film. Yeah, it's a bit of a crowd pleaser, I think, as well. Um, and it's quite accessible. I think it's it's dealing with some interesting themes. Um, obviously, it feels quite relevant given certain, you know, the, the sort of climate of today, but... Not only does it deal with the the kind of misogyny and the sexism and the the pay gap and things like that, but also deals a little bit with Billie Jean King's sexuality. Mm. For people who don't know, she is gay, and you know it touches upon her relationship with not so much her coming out, but her her own sort of sexual awakening, I guess. Mm. And that isn't necessarily like a really big part of the film, but it's it's an important part of her character, and I think the film handles that in a very sensitive way. Yeah. Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris helming this one. They previously directed uh, Steve Carell in Little Miss Sunshine. Danny Boyle producing. What did you make of it, Hannah? I had really high expectations. I'm a big Emma Stone, big Steve Carell fan, mm. and I loved Little Miss Sunshine. But I found I was a bit disappointed. I think um, for me, when I was watching it, there was a sense of like, it didn't tell the whole story. And um, it ended on this sort of hopeful you know, note like everything's going to be fine. And for me, this is an ongoing battle. It's, it's 40 years since this film took place and uh, female athletes are still fighting for equal pay. Mm, female broadcasters, female pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah. So it just seemed a female bit... Female actors. 
Yeah, it seemed a bit um, strange that they chose to sort of end the story there. But I thought that um, the casting was brilliant. Emma Stone and Steve Carell were both really, really like compelling to watch. It has this like, where are they now coda, mm. but it doesn't include any information about what the pay gap is like in tennis specifically now. Mm. And you know, you have very high profile disputes going on and people like Andy Murray's been very outspoken about it and trying to make sure that the women do get the same prize money as the men. So, mm. it, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the the film, it presents this very hopeful story in a very accessible way, but at the same time, it doesn't really... And maybe it would be just a bit too much of a downer to leave you <laughs> realising that 40 years ago this event happened and actually it didn't have that big an impact. And I think the film well, struggles... In some ways, it, OK, the, the match itself potentially doesn't, but maybe the formation of the, the, the WTA was a huge step. That's it's the not... bigger thing, and it almost uses the match as a way into that. Mm. Um, and actually, the match itself, um, to all intents and purposes, is, is a pretty drab yeah. event. And, well, you know, they do really try to inject more drama into it than perhaps was even there. But Yeah, it's a hustle, a bit of a sideshow, and the film, deep down, I think, is aware of that. But, I mean... It's an entertaining finale. It's by no means, as you say, Hannah, a definitive study of the of the rise of women's wages in tennis. But I found it a very entertaining film. My only issue, apart from yeah, the slight anticlimax of the, the game at the end, was Alan Cumming, actually, as the flamboyant dress designer, who I, I thought it was less a performance, more a party turn that he, he put in. But apart from that, I thought, yeah, this cast was fabulous. Carell lights up the screen. Emma Stone does an outstanding job of a not always desperately accessible character, Billie Jean King. Yeah, she's quite guarded and, you know, even though she's with this group of women that that she's on tour with, you know, they have a certain camaraderie but she doesn't seem particularly close to any of them. She's a little bit out on her own and she's very much got this idea of she's number one and she's almost carrying the the weight and the burden of this. Um, Actually, one one thing I thought was quite interesting was not really knowing much about Bobby Riggs' character at this time. I, I went into this assuming that he was just this rampant misogynist. And actually, when you find out it's all a complete act and he is just kind of showing up for the cameras, you realise how easily he ended up sort of manipulating everyone, and and her especially, actually, into making this match happen. Because although there's a symbolic element to it, and it means maybe more to her than it does to him, it's a very self-indulgent thing for him, and he's Mm. clearly just doing it for a a last shot of the limelight and and a final paycheck. And yeah, everything is like played into his hands a little bit. Of course, this follows uh, hard on the heels of another tennis flick that recently came out, Borg v Makaro, or if you're listening in Sweden, Borg, which I think our opinions were mixed on. I really enjoyed it. Adam, you and David weren't so keen. Is this a better film? Uh, I liked it more. I think it works better as a sports movie, first and foremost. I mean, the tennis scenes themselves are more entertaining. Mm. And I think the characters if not in real life, are more interesting. They're certainly rendered with a bit more depth here. And Emma Stone and Steve Carell are just fantastic. They certainly are. Did you see Borg v McEnroe? I did, yeah. I liked it, but I thought that it should have really focused more on McEnroe. I think he's a bit more interesting. And I think this is why I liked Battle of the Sexes more. They had these two big personalities and they were both sort of really captured a lot better. It felt a lot more sort of peppy Mm. and accessible for someone like me who doesn't really follow tennis. Right. Okay. Do you want to give it a score? Yeah. Or um, three? Anticipation, I give it a four. I was pretty excited. And then I think enjoyment, and in retrospect, it's a three and a three for okay. me. Are those good threes? I don't know what you're, how your um, kind of one to five stands. Yeah, is that a good thing? I think is it's it like a solid, like it's, it's, yeah, watch the film. Okay. Think, yeah. Adam? Yeah, I'd go high threes across the board. Really? Yeah. 
Okay, I'd say anticipation of four for me because it's got Steve Carell in it, and I really enjoyed it at the time, and I look back on it with a kind of warm glow, so that certainly falls across the board for me. It's interesting, actually. We were talking about Will Farrell last week, and actually we had uh, Sid uh, emailing in saying, I can't believe three film professionals... I don't know how to pronounce Will Ferrell's name. Steam coming out of my ears. Check it out. He sent us in a little YouTube <laughs> pronouncement. Okay, Will Ferrell. But David touched on this last week, the fact that Steve Carell mm. consistently makes just outstanding choices and really interesting choices of movies, whereas Will Ferrell, he's such a talent, but just makes utter dross now. Well, he did Stranger Than Fiction maybe 10 years ago now, which is more, more of a kind of serious role. But yeah, Which Sid recommends as, as a film club, actually. Which I saw at the time and kind of liked, but would be interested to revisit. And I think he's he does his sort of mainstream comedy he's shtick He's a now. couple of indies. Um, he was in Everything Must Go, which is quite good. I think when he gets the chance to do these things, he's OK, but... Surely he could take the chance whenever he wants. He's Will Ferrell. Yeah, but I don't know. He just doesn't seem to take these chances. Yeah. I don't know. He's a strange one. Steve Carell is just a bit more relatable and a bit more human. I don't know. Will Ferrell is mm. this big, larger-than-life character. Mm. And Steve Carell, thinking of recent stuff, we saw him in the new Richard Linklater film. Yeah. And actually, yeah. when um, Foxcatcher came out a few years ago... I loved Foxcatcher. I interviewed him and uh, Bennett Miller, the director for it, and... Um, Miller was basically saying that he cast Steve Carell because he's such uh, a likeable, benign character in everything you see him, basically. Have you seen The Way, Way Back? Mm. I have, yeah. Yeah, in which he's really not a, a benign or likeable character, mm. but again, does a just outstanding job. And what is an absolutely terrific movie featuring one of those actors who I will watch a film for, Sam Rockwell. Oh. Mm. That's a good one. Like, what are, Who are the actors that doesn't matter what they're in and what the film is about what the story is you will just watch it with them in yeah i think sam rockwell was was for me for quite a while and then he stopped being in so many good things and possibly yeah maybe after moon he wasn't in that much good stuff but probably he's, he's back on track i think all right good who's your hannah do you have someone who you will you will roll up to the cinema for probably steve carell really Love steve carell yeah. yeah denzel uh denzel washington oh yeah I will, I will watch, and I actually watched. Did a uh, when I worked at a video shop many years ago. It was sort of a like, what? yeah, exactly. Kids ask your parents, but yeah, it was sort of like on its last legs a little bit. Right. So nobody used to come in, and I I, I did spend an entire day doing a Denzel marathon. Which did was you? Very enjoyable. Okay. Did you used to give people recommendations and that kind of thing? I used to try. Right. But mostly people just came in to rent the latest blockbusters. I understand. All right, well, we'll be getting your thoughts on our second film, Suburbicon, right after this. Suburbicon centres on a peaceful, idyllic suburban community where, beneath the tranquil surface, there's both a simmering racial tension and a dark, disturbing secret. Matt Damon here receives a visit from a police officer investigating two crimes. Mr. Lodge, I have a Lieutenant Hightower... Tell him I'm not in. You're on speaker, sir. Sorry, Lieutenant. You've come at a very busy time. Oh, I'm sorry to drop in on you like this. Uh, I wanted to clear something up that's just come to light. What happened to you? Oh, uh, horsing around with uh, my kid. He's got a mean right. He does. So... Any new progress on the investigation? Well, actually, I was hoping you might be able to help me with another case. You know a character named Rizzoli? No, Rizzoli? No. 
He got killed in a vehicular on the turnpike a couple of days ago. Rizzoli. Frank Rizzoli? Never heard of him. I'm sorry for his loss. Of life? Yeah, I guess he probably is too. Well, yeah, Matt Damon there. Part of a stellar cast. Julianne Moore. Oscar Isaac's here as well. And an absolutely amazing performance from young Noah Jupe. But no George Clooney. I think it's the first time he's directed a film, but hasn't appeared in it. Hannah, what did you think? I was not a fan. I came out, I uh, saw it with a friend of mine and came out and I was very angry about it. Really? Uh, he, he really what made you angry? It. I just think it was so misguided. There's this whole undercurrent of racial tensions going on and it just felt like totally... So you could see what Clooney was trying to do, mm. and he just did it really badly. Yeah. I must admit, I felt really uncomfortable about it as well. And whilst I recognise that he's got great intentions, it just feels weird decorating this kind of a capery film with really horrible scenes of racial injustice and abuse. Yeah, it felt like there were two different films going on, and it didn't match up. It should have matched up. I can see the intention was there, but the execution was not. Mm. And um, I just thought it was quite insulting for a sort of very privileged white man to go and make a film like this. Although you have to salute the fact that he's at least trying to air the issues. But yeah, it did yeah, come across. Yeah, I feel like he's got a platform where he could be allowing other filmmakers to make these films rather than steamrolling in there and mm. trying to do it himself. I feel like it, it just felt very, like, in a year that we've had Get Out, which is one of the best films about sort of racial tensions in America, it felt completely just... Missed the point. We like to make films about, you know, with messages. The message, unfortunately, this is steer clear and see something else, I suspect, Adam. Yeah, well, we should say, I think, that so early on in the film, in this white picket fence community, a black family moves in mm. and it's a big shock to the, the very white bread um, families that live there. And you kind of think, OK, where is he going to take this? Is it going to be, is he going to really latch on to this simmering tension around the time and and he kind of just uses it like you say as as dressing and it's kind of happening in the background all the time and you never really get to know the characters you know the black family themselves they're just sort of there and bad things happen to them Um, but that's not the story he actually really wants to tell Mm. Um, it becomes very much more about a crime which takes place within the um, Matt Damon's family and uh, yeah I, I, it does take some odd decisions here I think mm. What else angered you about this Hannah or were there things <laughs> that you liked? Um, I liked Oscar Isaac I thought there was not enough of Oscar Isaac there's never enough of Oscar Isaac in films I think Julianne Moore her character was just very sort of I didn't really care what happened to her uh, same with Matt Damon I think Matt Damon it was a sort of a strange performance from him. It was very felt almost a bit half-hearted to me. Hmm. Like he didn't really commit. And uh, there's a scene like quite late in the film, which is very much a Coen Brothers scene. You can tell they wrote the scene. It's very reminiscent of um, No Country for Old Men. Hmm. And you do get these sort of flashes of like really good script writing, but just like the execution is so off-putting and so poor. It gets to the point where you're just really glad it's only an hour and 45 minutes long. Right. The Coen Brothers film this reminded me of a lot was uh, Fargo, actually, without going too much into the plot details. But Clooney, having been in, was it, four Coen Brothers films, has clearly decided to have a go at one himself. So he's, he's got a script from the brothers. And all the way through, you can see he's gone for that kind of slightly subversive, the marriage of deadpan romp and also familiar things just slightly off kilter. But it, it never really comes together. Yeah, he's made a few very different films now. And I think you can look at the the films he's made around that with certain directors as having influenced whatever he's then 
gone on to direct himself, like um, Good Night and Good Luck, which we'll talk about later. He made that not long after working with Steven Soderbergh on The Good German. And again, this one, he's worked with the Coen brothers recently in Hail Caesar and, and obviously other stuff as well. But this is a script that I think they originally wrote in 1986. Mm. So it's been knocking around for a while. And um, yeah, you can kind of see there is the origins of like a Cohen-esque story here. Specifically when Oscar Isaac turns up as like an insurance salesman, that's like the Fargo bit, Um, which I kind of like that bit. The film definitely picks up when he's in it, but otherwise it's like he's taken the seed of that story. I don't know whether it was originally set in this this world. I'm guessing it was because the Coens, you know, they love period stories. They love this mid-century era. But what he does with it is just very bland, I think. He doesn't take it in a dark enough direction, if that's where he's going. It's not humorous enough. Um, The performances, I think, are totally off and the casting's totally off. Can I offer one exception? Apart from Oscar Isaacs, who we all agree is great, I thought Noah Jupe as the son of the Gardner family, one possibly the most central figure of the entire film, was absolutely brilliant. He's terrific. He was carrying yeah. it. Yeah, he was brilliant. And his um, interactions with the neighbour, actually, the uh, mm. the son of the Black family, were like, they just sort of pulled on my heartstrings. These two sort of eight-year-olds were really, really brilliant. He was in The Night Manager. He's yeah. got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. He's in Wonder, which we're going to be talking about next week, opposite uh, Jacob Tremblay, another of the rising stars of you know young acting. Yeah, good for him. He is very, very good in this. Mm. Hannah, overall, anything you want to say in Clooney's favour here? I really liked that film he made, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Oh, did you? That yeah. was his first one. Yeah, yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Sam Rockwell, of course. Of, of course, yeah. Maybe he just needs to work with Sam Rockwell <laughs> some more. I think um, I came out of Suburbicon feeling quite angry that yeah. it even existed, which is not, not I, a good thing. I, I know what you mean. I, I, Adam, we saw it together. I don't think either of us were particularly uh, impressed. There was one scene with a silhouette which... Had a kind of oh. comforting hokiness to it, which I, I actually quite enjoyed. But beyond that, a stab at doing a Cohen that completely it's misses. Just, it's just a real clash of tones, and mm. that really does bleed through all the performances. You've got Julianne Moore doing this kind of Stepford Wives thing, which just doesn't work at all, I think. And yeah, Matt Damon again, he's people love him, but I don't know, has he been in does that many want, good does films? Do they really love Matt Damon, or do they just think they love oh, Matt Damon? They- I, th- I think no. I think people really love Matt Damon. Yeah, I, I think, think there's enormous good. good well, I was going to say goodwill. Uh, but, that, it, you know. I see. I watched Downsizing at London Film Festival, and he was. Oh. Yeah, interesting God. because that's one we'll be doing <laughs> soon again. A, a kind of suburban, yeah, slightly very, removed from reality. Similar, yeah. yeah, interesting. All right, numbers then, Hannah. I was quite excited. I four, and then two, two. Mm. I really did not enjoy it. No. Adam? I think a three for anticipation. A little bit of uh, trepidation just because of George Clooney being such an unpredictable director. And I think maybe a two and then a one. I mean, (laughs) I would never watch this film again. I don't think I'd recommend it to anyone. And it's kind of a shame that it exists, I think. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, I'll, I'll sign off on those scores. And we'll move on to then happier times for George Clooney in our film club. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good night and good luck is this week's choice as Film Club. Terrific Second film, Sophomore Effort, from George Clooney, dealing with the brave efforts of Edward R. Murrow and his CBS team to take on the witch-hunting anti-communist Senator Joseph McCarthy, careerist anti-communist, I would say, uh, Joseph McCarthy. Uh, Here's the iconic moment in which Edward R. Murrow denounces issues which, much as with the Battle of the Sexes, are still so very current, dear listener, 60 years on. We must not confuse dissent with disloyalty. We must remember always that accusation is not proof and that conviction depends upon evidence and due process of law. We will not walk in fear one of another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason if we dig deep in our history and our doctrine and remember that we are not descended from fearful men, not from men who feared to write, to associate, to speak, and to defend the causes that were for the moment unpopular. This is no time for men who oppose Senator McCarthy's methods to keep silent, or for those who approve. We can deny our heritage and our history, but we cannot escape responsibility for the results. We proclaim ourselves, indeed, as we are, the defenders of freedom wherever it continues to exist in the world, but we cannot defend freedom abroad by deserting it at home. So here's one that Clooney got right, Hannah. Yeah, I love this film. I remember studying this. I did a history degree and we studied it as part of our sort of module on 20th century America. And when, you know, Clooney's getting taught in universities, I think that's quite a, quite an honour on his part. It is sort of the golden age of Clooney, the last like great film he did. Oh, really? I think so, yeah. Well, it's only the second one he did. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Adam, listeners? Yeah, we've got some good comments. Nick Gilbert just says, David Strahan, my man. Which, Is that how you pronounce it? Strahan? That's how I pronounce okay. it. But I'm sure someone will send us a YouTube clip. <laughs> with, uh... Well, Sid, actually, who was on the YouTube thing earlier, said he's not a fan of this. It's somewhat typical of Clooney's socially conscious movies, heavy-handed preaching, as he says. Oh, it's a bit harsh. I mean, I don't know that you can call it heavy-handed preachiness. It depends what, where you sit on the political spectrum, I guess. But I'm not sure you could... McCarthyism was a bad thing. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not sure there's much of a grey area there. But yeah, mm. f- fair dues. I mean, I actually think the great thing about this is that it's taking quite a dry subject matter, right. quite an unsexy subject matter, and lightening it up a bit. Mm. Um, the scene, the iconic scene we've just heard, they follow it up with this brilliantly comic moment where they basically are waiting for the, the calls to come in from the listeners and someone's unplugged the phones and it's just it's <laughs> really really lovely um anyway let's read out some more banshee babe at banshee babe i thought it was well done david strahan is excellent jc von pliskin says haven't seen it in a few years but remember it being a bit perfect oh it's high praise yeah. um my, my favorite one uh comes from al cook it's brilliant. I had big hopes for Clooney, the director after this. Alas, was not meant to be, mm. which is exactly how I feel. That from the American, do you remember about the hitman? He didn't direct that, did he? No. Mm. 
that wait, was... Siriano was another. Of the, was that the one he did after this? Siriano with Matt Damon, I believe. Siriano, I think he did before this. Was that before? Yeah. Okay. Um, this was after he'd been working, as I say, with Steven Soderbergh a little mm. bit. I think they'd done Solaris and the, the Good German together. Right. He mortgaged his own house in LA to help raise the film's budget, which was a, a reduced seven and a half million dollars. He paid himself one dollar each for writing, directing, and starring. Clooney's father, I didn't know this, was a news anchor. Mm. Mm. I think that plays a lot about Clooney. He's yeah, got that charisma. Kind of yeah. mm. Kai Ross describes it as a knockout film, extraordinarily evocative of a jazzy pre-Mad Men America. I think that's a nice... If, if you are a fan mm. of Mad Men in that kind of period of, um, of American history, then it's, it's a fascinating watch. Mm. Yeah, and uh, Ian Roberts, even though it's set in the 50s, it has more to say about the war on terror than any film set in Iraq or Afghanistan, which I think is very true. It's still an incredibly relevant film. And um, I actually, I went to see Network at the oh. uh, National Theatre uh, last week. And for me, it kind of was a nice little companion piece about sort of the current way fake news is sort of dominating every single platform. Mm. And um, the sort of the good fight against it by these sort of very brave journalists. It's been going on for, you know, 60 years. Mm. What numbers would you give Network? Oh, Network's 555. Is it? Network is fantastic. Go and see it if you can. All right. How's Brian Cranston? Brian Cranston was um, brilliant. It's the best he's been since uh, Breaking Bad. Like, I think the thing he lacks in um, all his film roles, and uh, especially in... Um, Trumbo? It was quite reminiscent of Trumbo, actually, which, of course, um, Trumbo yeah, was backlisted. Same era, yeah. So it all, all comes together. But the stage gives him this sort of, like, presence. And, um, yeah, I definitely recommend if you can get tickets. Which all right. Are, all right. I was just going to say, good night and good luck. I think the, the line that always stands out for me from that speech is the bit about not confusing dissent with disloyalty, mm. which is something people could would st- could stand to remember. So very, very topical right now, mm. indeed. So he always gets great cast together, doesn't he? He calls all his mates in. Well, there's yeah. so many good people in this who are who are just kind of on the periphery, and, right. and you have people like Jeff Daniels. I'd completely forgotten that Robert Down- Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. was in this um, yeah. again pre Iron Man, so very much on on the kind of comeback train still. But yeah, he's terrific. Frank Langella as well. Yeah, a um, shout out as well to central casting stocky cropped haired man in uniform, <laughs> De Chois, Glenn Morshower. I never knew his name. I looked it up after this actually because he, he turns up again whenever there's a colonel or some kind of top brass figure. He's there. He's, he has not one but two army roles in the Transformers series. Do you know the guy I mean? The, the, the big, mm. thick-set guy. I sort with of the... envision him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there you go. And we should give a shout-out to um, cinematographer Robert Elswit as well. Ah, yeah. He does mm. terrific work on this. Um, monochrome, beautifully lensed. Uh, he, he's, he's really, really... I mean, he's up there in like the Roger Deakin bracket. I think. Right. Although, isn't it easier to do it in black and white? Um, it depends. I mean, you can shoot on black and white, but it leaves you with fewer options in the grade. Or you, a lot of people shoot on color mm. and then, like, color negative uh, mm. stock, and then like basically convert it to black and oh, white do they? afterwards. Yeah, but oh. I think this was actually shot in, on black and white film. Right. Also, pleasingly short film at one hour thirty three minutes, which is always good. Always I think love especially a short when film. Uh, when it's a political drama, I think it's good to kind of not outstay your welcome. Indeed, important message there as well. <laughs> Uh, super. All right. Well, that's good night and good luck. What are we doing next week, Adam? Well, next week we're going to be reviewing a film called Wonder, which mm-hmm. stars Jacob Tremblay uh, of Room fame. 
and other stuff. Uh, he's one of these annoyingly precocious young actors who just seems to be in everything. Oh, so he's in that as well? Yeah, and just inspired by that, I guess, um, we thought we'd pick out a great child performance. Mm. And uh, the film Leon, a.k.a. Leon the Professional, as it yes. was released in the States. It turns 20 this year. No. Natalie Portman giving an uh, extraordinary performance as Matilde. So, yeah, I thought we could revisit that. Leon, I think I'm kind of falling in love with you. It's the first time for me, you know. How do you know it's love if you've never been in love before? Because I feel it. Where? In my stomach. It's all warm. I always had a knot there. And now... It's gone. Matilda, I'm glad you don't have a stomachache in it. I don't think it means anything. What an exciting cast there as well, because Gary Oldman as the very, very bad man is terrific. Yeah. As is, of course, Jean Reno. Mm, a good vehicle. A very for great him. car chase uh, scenes as well. Yeah, featuring a Renault. Do you see? <laughs> anyway, so Wonder is one of the films. Our look back on yesteryear is very much uh, Leon. And we're also reviewing a film called Happy End. What is that? It's the new one from Michael Haneke. White Ribbons, Michael Haneke. The very same. And it, it's a first film since Amour, mm-hmm. I think. It's his okay. first film since Amour, uh, which is a beautiful film and an absolutely harrowing watch that right. something I would never want to watch again yeah. I think ditto the white ribbon actually but this is like I, do, I wouldn't put it in the same category as that but it doesn't hit you with that same level of impact as, as those two but it's like it is good okay super well do make sure you join us for all of that next week in the meantime if you want to let us know what we mispronounce truthandmovies at tcolondon.com is our email address or you can find us on twitter at lwlies there's facebook there's the website that kind of thing anything else you want to throw in Hannah? Don't go and watch the Babacon. Right. <laughs> okay, just in case there was any lingering doubts. Uh, Adam? No, I think that's it for me. I'm going to go and see the Florida Project again. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. All right, well, whatever you're going to be watching, listeners, in the next seven days, I do hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week. This was a Seven Digital production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 